Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Jordan here. This is episode 34 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. We're very grateful and happy that you've chosen to give us some of your attention today. And one of the reasons why I feel like it is worth your time is because of our guest, Lauren Cashin. She is the vocalist of the melodic hardcore band Sharp Tooth. But not only that, she is trained in zoology. She works with crocodiles. She, uh, I came to learn, uh, was trained in opera singing and theater as a child. Uh, she is one of the most convicted and passionate and articulate artists that I have come to know. I actually knew her uh, growing up, but, but didn't really start having more in-depth conversations with her until the past year. Uh, it's really an honor to have her on, on this episode and to share her point of view and her experience with the world. Uh, I personally find her to be one of the most important new voices in rock music, and she really uses her platform to inspire others, and obviously that fits with what we are doing here at Chocolate Croissants. Um, before we get into that, I want to show some love to our sponsor for this episode and the sponsor for the past few episodes, Nata Tattoo. Uh, and they deserve it because they are certified all-natural, all-vegan, and all-organic tattoo care brand. Uh, Matt has still been using their products and has been giving them rave reviews uh, because even though he still has some fresh ink every now and again, he has a lot of uh, existing and older ink, and it's really made a difference on his body and for his investment, quite frankly. Uh, so very briefly, if you want to check them out at their website, it's nat-a-tat, then the number 2.com. If you didn't get all that, no worries. Just check the episode description in your podcast app or your web browser right now. And you can check out their website with all the products they have. They've got a foam cleanser, they have an aftercare lotion, they have an aftercare balm, uh, or you can just get the whole kit. And uh, quite frankly, I think the prices are very affordable, um, but even still, we want to hook you up, and they want to hook you up, the Chocolate Croissants listener, with 25% off. So all you got to do uh, in their checkout store online, uh, chocolate in all caps, chocolate, then the number's 25 you'll get 25% off uh, any of their products. How cool is that? Uh, for real, nat-a-tat2.com. Uh, check out their company. Check out their brand. Uh, I think you'll find uh, it to be interesting, engaging. Even if you're just interested in building a business, whether that's a band uh, or anything else, uh, pay attention to what they're doing. They're doing a really good job, and I think you'll find value uh, even in that along with uh, the different products that they offer, those with tattoos, both new and existing. Uh, so on to episode 34, Lauren Cashin. Uh, as I said, she is one of the more inspiring people that I know, and I'm really excited to share her story with all of you. Um, and also, there's this dude, Todd Feaser. Todd Feaser. I don't know. We talk about him early on in the episode as we uh, kind of figure out, Justin, Lauren, and I, uh, how we got to know each other as as kids, and uh, I'm sure a lot of that stuff. It's like maybe two minutes. You probably don't give a fuck about. It's kind of like, hey, where'd you go to school, and how do you know this person? Uh, stick with it. She gives so much value uh, in this episode, and and I think it'll really be worth your time. Uh, Matt Halpern is not on this episode today. He just rejoined uh, the Periphery Tour. And uh, next week, he will be responsible for the next guest. 
And then I think after that, we're all finally going to reconvene and uh, start doing these again. Uh, we're missing doing that, but uh, it's been really fun to connect with all these different guests uh, in different formats uh, over the past month. So uh, one last time, we appreciate your attention. We love you for the support. Episode 34, Lauren Cashin of Sharp Tooth, starting now. We're on? We're on. Hi, Lauren. Hi. <laughs> uh, and hi, everyone else. Uh, this is Jordan. We're here in my apartment with Justin. Hi. And the guest for episode 34, Lauren Cashin. And Hello. we were just checking our mics, and you are a vocalist. I am. In a band. Yes. Called Sharp Tooth. Correct. So when you are sound checking, what do you say into the mic? Uh, it totally depends. If I'm being boring, I'll just say check, check. But if I'm having fun that night, I'll sing stupid little songs that I make up. <laughs> but do you say like check one, two? Do you do the do numbers? Like, like, check, check, hey, check, check. I don't usually do one, two. No. Do you think about the science behind checking? No, not at all. Jordan? I, I actually do think about it. I think that about it, too. Because, obviously, Enlighten the word... me. You, well, you use the word check, I'd assume, because that is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But the one and I the two... I think it's also the ch-ch-ch portion right, of it. Right, so I'm saying, I'd assume the, the theory is that you're providing different functions of your vocal tone and making sure that things aren't peaking or things mm -hmm. come through clearly, but I don't really know. I would imagine that has something to do with the EQ, that you want to cut something, right, and maybe boost something that seems low, but you're going to cut something that might be like hissing or clipping. Yeah. I think it's the same way like if the bass player only checked the E string. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? I mean, like I'll also like shout and like growl and make like sounds i make lots of weird so you full out I... scream oh yeah which makes sense because yeah. you are you're ideally that's... sound checking what you'll be doing that yep. night which is way more than a check yeah no i mostly just do that to make sure that it's on and that the volume is somewhere in the realm of where i want it to be <laughs> when did you feel like you've in some way mastered a scream oh i i don't know that i'll ever master it well, do you feel, I mean, I'd assume, so you do it every night. You're now touring, yeah. like, like, I guess what would be considered full-time at this point. So I mean, that's, it's literally hardcore, like what it's, you're doing yeah. to your vocal cords <laughs> and you're doing it each night. Yep. I'd assume for at least 30 plus minutes. Yeah. Usually right around 30 minutes. So like short and sweet. Do you feel comfortable doing it? Oh yeah. I do now. It's, uh, it's interesting because I don't think that I, I think that in the last two years, I've started developing a lot more confidence in the way that my scream sounds, and especially in the last like two months. So I went in September to take lessons with Melissa Cross. Do you know who she is? She's the one who got famous for teaching all the hardcore bands how to scream properly without blowing it's, their voice. Exactly. So I went to go take voice lessons with her, and like she even said that like she said you're doing everything right, but she also gave me like tips and things to listen for. And like, I've also been doing her warm ups like super religiously. And on our last tour that we went on, which was our record release, I felt like I hit vocal puberty. Like I really felt like my voice sounded better than it ever has in my whole career. And that I was able to, I had so much more versatility within like a set. It wasn't just like, Oh, I can, 
scream like this and that's how it's going to be so that I can get through the set because I got to do it the next night. So, but like now I feel like I'm like, oh, I can do like lows at this part or I can like bring it up like a lot higher for this part. Like I feel like I have so much more versatility and that my tone has so much more like, not like depth, like lower, but it's a little bit of that, but like it feels fuller, it feels bigger. And like, that's been so exciting. <laughs> do you give a room of people a heads up before you start going through these warm-up routines? Well, I do, I do warm-ups usually on our bus. I'll like dip out during the, the band before us. Um, and it's like, it's not long warm-ups. It's like 12, 15 minutes. And uh, I actually, I typically try to warm up a little bit before I even get to the show because I know I'm going to be talking to everybody. Um, and that's the part that stresses my voice more than anything is talking to people over the music, like at the show or like at the merch table. Um, it's not even the set that does it, I guess, because the part of my voice that I'm screaming from is a different part of my voice than I'm talking from. So the screaming, I'm only doing that for 25 minutes every day. Like I, that's pretty easy to access, but I'm, I have to talk every single day and, you know. And I could see that being stressful in the sense that like when you go on tour, this is your, your voice is your career. That's your tool. That's your instrument. Yeah. But yet you're still a relatively new band, especially in all these markets outside of Baltimore. Yeah. So, and you're a very social person. Yep. And you're someone who I've seen you perform before and connecting with people in the room yes. is, is important for you. So I'd imagine Crucial. you want to have conversation with as many people as you're, you know, building relationships in a fan base. Absolutely. At the same time, you have to protect your investment and the reason why they're there in the first place. Yeah. So I actually, like, I've tried to not, it's been nice. The guys have been super helpful. Like, a lot of times, like, vocalists will do merch because we like, it's not like we have gear and shit to really move. Um, but unfortunately yelling over like the, the house music or the other bands is really stressful vocally. So the guys have taken up a lot of like the slack for that. And a lot of times I'll go outside where it's way quieter and that's where I'll talk to like fans and people. So Prior to the training that you just received from was it Melissa? Melissa. From Melissa. Did you have a warm-up routine? Uh, and it was it something that um, did you did you say, well, before I had all this, I was always apprehensive because I thought I could maybe lose my voice, which is the only thing you have that you need to preserve. Yeah. Right. I did I like had access to her warm-ups like from like the internet, but and like I knew the basics of like the way that she teaches people how to scream. Um, but it was like, I only had like maybe a third of what I could get from her. So it's like, I had the basics to be able to get through our shorter tours without losing my voice, um, and like be okay. But it was always still something that I was like worried about after our last tour. I'm a lot less worried about losing my voice just because I, I've totally shocked myself at how well it's been holding up. And I'm like, Oh shit. If I do all these things right that I've been like prescribed to do, then it works. It's amazing. When did we first meet? Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know either. Was it in high school or before that because of our parents? So our moms are friends. Yes. But I didn't even put that together until more recently. Yeah. To when your honest. mom's over a lot. I know. Often. <laughs> she, yeah. she organizes closets. My yeah. mom organizes houses and lives. <laughs> okay. So, and, yeah. and is like a pro canasta player. 
Yeah, she kills it at Canasta. Do you know how to play? I don't know how to play. Jordan? She plays Canasta and Mahjong. No, but something with, with there, you get like points. Yeah, and, and Jordan and I, our, our mom is super competitive. And I've seen this because she plays tennis as well. And it's like, she's like ruthless. She's like, yeah, I won. I think she wants your mom on the team. Yeah. Right, because she's like, you know, because like. I didn't even know it was teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I think they play in four. Is this play a Jewish Paris. thing? I have no idea. Mahjong <laughs> seemed like a Jewish thing. Mahjong's definitely a Jewish thing. For us, which is in the area that we grew up in. Because it's a Chinese, it's Chinese, the game. Hey, Justin, why don't you bang that mic on the table a little more? Sorry. <laughs> um, so, Justin and I were in a band called Boy Crazy. Yep. You were around for that. Yes. As a come... fan, or were you performing at that point as well? Just a fan. Okay, but did you know us before that? Maybe th- just through the music scene, because I started going to shows when I was like 14. So, that would be like 2003. When I started going to Did you have shows? a broken foot at a Good Charlotte show? No. Okay, it wasn't you. No. I never listened to Good Charlotte. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> now I got, now I got, <laughs> Nothing against Good Charlotte. No, 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 I, just no. Never I, listened I could have sworn. I was like, wait, maybe it was you nope. and you were like crowd surfing with a broken foot. That is something that, sounds that my like dumbass would do. Right. But <laughs> it sounds like, you know, 15 year old Lauren. I've, I've definitely moshed with a like busted hand before, I've moshed with a like a sprained knee. I've done some questionable things in the name of having fun at shows. <laughs> so you knew Bagel. Was that the way in? I think so. How did I even meet him? I don't so, know. How so I Bagel met that whole group. Uh, for those listening, thinking what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> uh, so the, the band Boy Crazy, Bagel did lights, uh, but he was considered uh, a member of the band. Yes. Uh, he literally had he played the lights. He played the, the lights. The lights were part of, that was part of the show. It was part of the experience. Yeah, the aesthetic made a huge difference. Yeah. Totally. So, and, and Justin and he were, were best friends. Uh, I'd assume, uh, to me, when I think of you, I think of him or his house. You know, I think I'm putting things together. Remember Todd? Do you remember Todd? Vaguely. Yeah. So, I was best friends with a girl that he dated in high school, this girl, Lindsay. And that's how we all met. I remember that's how we met Todd Feaser and Eric Schuster. And they were friends with Bagel. And I think that that was the in, was that like me and Lindsay met Todd and, and Eric Schuster. I love that thousands of people from literally all over the world are giving their time and attention. <laughs> and they have <laughs> no idea what's going on. we're talking friends. about Todd Feaser right now. I love that. It's yeah, wait, wait, wait. We need to tag him. To put it into like, I don't know, some kind of like, you maybe have seen his name before. Remember the movie Nebraska? No. Great movie, Nebraska. I've heard of it. Black and white. Oh, I know Bruce, where you're going with Bruce this. Bruce Stern, he, I think. He worked on it. And I remember seeing it at like MGM and, and, and like, this I was waiting for it, and I took a picture. Of okay, so it. so anyway, so yeah, bless okay. Todd Feaser, right. wherever you are. Yeah. we'll send <laughs> we'll send this to him. So, us all together. so we met somewhere in the in like the high school music high scene school. days. Yeah. yeah, and if not, it was maybe before that. So, when did you start your musical journey? Um, because I, I mean, remember you playing in bands. Not in high school. I never played in a band in high school. I well, I went to art school, and uh, they had like majors at our art school. I went to Carver Center for the Arts and I was a voice major and I studied opera for four years. I did musical theater for like, and private vocal lessons for like 12 years. Um, I always wanted to be in bands and all my friends were in bands. Do people know this? That like, 
the hardcore singer is trained in opera? I think it's getting around. <laughs> I think people are... We actually just did a... Uh, not to blow our horn or anything, but we we were just featured in AP Magazine, and they talked about that a little bit in a Con- that's awesome. article. Congrats! By Thank the way. you. And it's like oh, it's like a two page spread. We we're I like freaking yeah, out. It looks so cool. Little fifteen year old me is dying, that's <laughs> like nice. freaking out. Uh, so, were you into opera music? Not opera, but definitely musical theater. Still am. Love theater. Love like classical performance. I love jazz. Um, that's like the kind of stuff that like I sing while I'm like driving around in my car is usually show tunes. What's your go-to? Like my go-to show? Yeah, or song. Oh my gosh, I don't uh, everything. My favorite musical is Cabaret. So I love all the songs from Cabaret. Um obviously like love stuff like Rent and Wicked, like every girl in the 90s and early 2000s did. But yeah, I, I Cabaret watched, is my show. I watched the first 10 minutes of the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and they had SpongeBob the musical. It was so disappointing. What? <laughs> do, so do you know that that's the thing? I think it's on Broadway. Okay. <laughs> but, but it was just all like humans dressed as humans. Really? Yeah, it was very disappointing, except um, the uh, SpongeBob's pet, whatever it is. Gary? Gary the snail? Was, was, uh, was like a like a plastic or wooden thing on wheels and a string, but everyone else were just humans. <laughs> it was really sad. So it wasn't, so they didn't do it like Lion King where they make like the They didn't even attempt to like make him look like a sponge. Bizarre. Or any of the other characters look like whatever they are. Was he yellow? Yeah, he was yellow-ish, <laughs> but not like Simpsons yellow face. Right. It wasn't like, like that. Mm. That's so bizarre. We are definitely living in the weirdest timeline, I think. Now, a lot of people say we're in the darkest timeline. I don't know that it's necessarily the darkest, but I think it's definitely the weirdest. I think it's <laughs> it's the, by far the best time to be a human in the history of the world. Oh, I think so too. Especially in the United States. Yeah. And yeah, I, I get upset when people shit on that. And I don't know, because... Or it's like, or say it's like a terrible time to be alive. I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's that infinite opportunity. And we all yeah. have relative freedom. I guess it... I, uh, a lot of that also just depends on where you are in the world and who you are and, you know, what you're born and, you know, different people are going to be afforded different privileges and opportunities. I but, told you guys to put on airplane mode on your phones. Doesn't that stop the buzz? This phone just only, vibrated. Only, <laughs> it's only you. It's only you, man. Only you. Oh, man. See, that's why I just don't have my phone on vibrate. It's weird to me, though. So what if, like, what if SpongeBob the Musical calls you up and they're like, hey, we just fucking saw your thing in AP Magazine and saw that you might be into this <laughs> and we want to give you an opportunity, but you have it on silent and it's not vibrating, so you missed the call. True. Well, I don't think that we... Re- I check my phone enough. I think that I'd be fine. Like, I'd see it within a couple of minutes. I'd respond with a yes, an emphatic yes. I'd, I'd at least hear them out, but... Only if SpongeBob the musical wasn't going to be a direct impediment to my music career. And you'd be able to break this to your band easily? Like, guys, 16 <laughs> year old me needs to fulfill this. No, like, I, I need was to scratch never this like a itch. huge SpongeBob person. Neither was I. Like, that wasn't Neither really was my I. thing. I liked it. But, if, but like, if Rent called and you could be the over the moon. Oh, if I could be Maureen? Oh, God. It's like, how did 
did you know that that would be, yeah. That's you. You'd be like, I know. yes. Sorry, oh, guys. Man. I, I don't know. I, I'm the kind of person who I firmly believe in making everything work. I think that if there's a will, there's usually a way. I don't, I don't, I don't live in absolutes. So. Well, now, I mean, I know sharp tooth is your focus sure. for the time being, but the, the more you grow it and the more opportunities you get featured like in an AP magazine or bigger tours, uh, then you're building, uh, a, a network of people, you're, mm-hmm. you're building an audience and a following, like then you have more leverage to potentially pivot and do something like that. Sure. Is that something in the future that you'd be interested in? Not saying just totally a play, but is there anything else that would not seem consistent with like a hardcore vocalist? <laughs> I feel like my, I feel like all of my life choices are distinctly unusual. So Nothing is unusual in that regard. Like my day job is I work with crocodiles and show them to children. Like any any choices I make at this point, like probably the weirder they are, the more like the less surprising. I think people would be way more surprised if I was like, Yeah, I'm just gonna settle down and get a get an office job. I think that would shock people more than oh, Lauren's gonna go do some Broadway She's in show. SpongeBob. Yeah, now. Lauren's in SpongeBob. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's go back in the story. When did you start playing in bands and when did you realize, hey, this is a thing that I want to make part of the current life trajectory? Um, I started playing in bands. Uh, my first like actual band that I was ever in was a band called At The Zoo. It was like a progressive, like almost sometimes psychedelic ska band of all things. It was with a... How do we listen to this? Dude, if you can find it, it our stuff was on MySpace, and that'll show you how far long ago this was. Was that, psychedelic ska? It was cool. Like I'm proud of all of the music that we made. Um, it was like I thought it was like really cool and really interesting music. And you were the vocalist. I was a vocalist. Do you um, play any instruments? Uh, does the didgeridoo count? <laughs> it does. Yep. I, I was that the psychedelic well. piece? No, my parents got me a didgeridoo for my bat mitzvah. <laughs> I told you, like, like nothing's too weird. Is I'm there, a weird now it's because they love Incubus? No, it was because I loved Australia. <laughs> like, I was obsessed with Australia. And Some, uh, So were you, like, the most popular kid in school? <laughs> Did you carry the didgeridoo with you? Um, so, wow, 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 so it's funny because, like, in, like, middle school, like, no, I was, like, a total, like, freak. Um, like, I read all the time, was into was like the weird kid who reads all the time and like really likes dinosaurs, but also really likes show tunes. Like that Would you was bring a pet spider to school? Uh no, but I did something arguably weirder. We had to do I think it was in like seventh grade, we had to do a project um on marine life. And like all the normal fucking people in the class, they were like, Oh, I'm gonna do my project on like sea lions and dolphins and whales and sharks. Like the cool animals. No, I did mine on squid. because, And when we had to present, I brought in a dead squid as part of my presentation. From like a sushi place? Yes. My mom went to a sushi place and got me a whole dead squid that I brought to middle school with me. I smelled like dead fish for the rest of the day because I had 
grand old time playing with the dead squid in front of the class. I heard sea lions <laughs> are assholes. I've heard that too. What I don't, is that? I don't, I'm a zoologist, but I don't know anything about sea lions. So Okay, so people here, like, you're a zoologist and you yeah. work with crocodiles. I do work with crocodiles. So... I'm, did you like did you go to college for that? I did. I got my degree in zoology, but my like herpetology? focus was in herpetology, which is reptiles and amphibians. I uh did a bunch of internships at the National Aquarium working with their reptiles. Um that was when I first started working with crocodiles and I was like I really love crocodiles. Um like, How did Baltimore end up with the National Aquarium? I don't know. It's a great aquarium, but I have no idea. Maybe it's cuz it's close to the Capital that would make sense, and they have the national zoo. So, so you played in a psychedelic ska band. Ska band. <laughs> was this before the this was in college? Yes, it was in college. So, as you're studying to be a zoologist, yep, I always knew that I wanted to do music perform, and I didn't want to do I like. So when I actually first started college, I started as a theater major, um, but I wasn't happy at the school I was at or with the program that I was in. And I, what I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to make a career with a fucking theater degree. So I switched. So you studied squid instead. Yeah, I did basically. Crocodiles. <laughs> so yeah, I knew I was like, I love reptiles. I've always, I loved reptiles when I was a kid. Like everyone loved dinosaurs and stuff when they were kids. And, uh, I kind of like never grew out of that obsession. So I was like, well, why don't I just do that for a job? That would be cool. Get to play with like lizards and snakes and crocodiles. So yeah, so I got my zoology degree and. uh, Do you still have that job? I, so the job that I have now doing that, it's really cool. It's at a place called Eco Adventures and they're almost like a small zoo slash educational facility, almost a nature center type of place. But instead of having like, oh, native stuff like possums and raccoons and whatever, uh, we have crocodiles and giant pythons. The owner of it is this, is this guy, Brady Barr, who worked for National Geographic for like a really long time, had like TV shows and stuff. But uh, what I do is I go there and I get our animals and I go to like schools and do like big assemblies and like teach the kids about the animals. So it's really fun. And I can see how as a front woman in a band, I mean, you're a performer. Oh yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's cool. I get to blend my enjoyment of reptiles with my enjoyment of having all the attention in the room. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) live theater. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. It's great. And I never thought I'd like working with kids, but like the kids are fun too. So was that your full-time job? It wasn't it wasn't ever a full-time thing because it's based on so it's like per like event type of thing so you basically get like assigned to do events. Um so I was doing that. I worked at National Aquarium for a little while. That was like my full-time thing for a little bit, but it was only a temporary position and once the position was up, I ended up getting this thing. So did you get one of those dolphin whistles? No. <laughs> so I worked in uh, their rainforest department, so no dolphins, but I got to play with birds, which was cool. What was the humidity like for your hair? Uh, awful. It was terrible, especially because we had to like hose down the whole rainforest at the beginning of the day, and if I was the one who got to do it, I'm like, great, I'm going to look like crap for the do rest they, of the day. <laughs> did they give you the dolphin wetsuit to go in there? 
No, not into the rainforest. And you just like spray it all. You're literally just you kind of like, I've resigned myself to looking like crap. So respect that. So let's so let's get to where you currently are, right? Mm-hmm. You're still doing a bit of the shows with the animals. Yeah. And you still work. You're still doing other other things. I help out at my dad's like foot doctor's office. So awesome. So I call patients. You're able to then sustain what you want to do so that you can go off and do the band stuff, right? Yes. So the current band you're in, as Jordan said, Sharp Tooth. Yep. When did that start? So Sharp Tooth began at the end of my like so my second band was a band called Highest Honor. It was like a pop punk band and like I loved all the people in it and like we had a great time, but it still wasn't the kind of music that I really wanted to make because I've always been into like heavier stuff. Um but I did it because there were opportunities for women to be in bands were very thin on the ground. People still had this like idea that like, oh, if you're a girl in a band, like you're automatically like Paramore or Avril Lavigne or whatever, as opposed to just looking at us like individual human beings. So um, Highest Honor was kind of like dying down. Um, we had like a bunch of like member changes. It was hard to like keep people. We didn't have a lot of momentum. And uh, this other band, Sharp Tooth, uh, I'd known most of the other members just from the music scene. They like knew me from shows and knew me from my old band. And uh, they asked me to join as their front person. So they, they approached me. Apparently they asked me twice and I don't remember the first time. So, so but, when did you join? How long have you been with them? Almost three years exactly. I joined at the very end of November in 2014. So almost exactly three years. It was very cool. So was that weird joining a band that was already like fully formed and um, learning how to just adapt socially to that and I guess pick your spots as far as like, hey guys, maybe we should try marketing in this way or writing this style. I was honestly just excited to have an opportunity to be making more music. And I'm pretty I'm pretty like socially like adaptable and can fit into almost any situation you just kind of stick me in. So, and all the guys are super nice and really funny. And our, when we had like our first practice, kind of like tryout type of thing, see how it works thing, we all got along immediately, which was awesome. And so, like, we immediately were like, yeah, this is a good idea. This is going to be cool. And I, I guess I noticed myself saying, like, marketing. <laughs> and, and for me, I guess clearly just, Things like that, or just the business of music or or art, is has always been interesting and and intuitive for me. But I mean, are you even interested in that in the music business and and having an influence on how your band's business is run? Oh yeah, now I am. But at the time, I didn't care. I was just like, oh, I just want to be able to write music and I just want to be on a microphone. Like I, I just was excited for the opportunity. That's kind of how everything's kind of felt for me. It was just like, oh gosh, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. But yeah, I've gotten, especially coming into a band, like I was like, you guys already have a way that things are run. And since then, like I, me and our lead guitarist pretty much have equal, um, like we are like, no one's really like in charge, but we basically run a lot of our, like the logistical stuff of being in a band, like, quote unquote marketing stuff, uh, like booking tours, um, like our social media, that kind of stuff. Like the two of us manage that 
ready equally, which is cool. Um, I was, it's cool that like I was able to come into this situation and they were like, Oh, you, you have some insight. Why don't you, they gave me a lot of opportunities to, to kind of prove myself and like push us forward. Like I just started booking tours for us, like just cause I wanted to, and I had no prior experience with booking tours and they were like, yeah, go for it. Have fun. Do whatever you want to do. So I can imagine there's thousands of musicians listening to this right now mm-hmm. uh, that want to play more. Yeah. And they hear you saying, I've never done it, but I just booked tours. Yeah. It's so like, what did you do? You, the great thing about this day and age is that we have Facebook, so you can make connections with people who live all over the country. Um, and like, especially like there's like music groups and like you guys have like a group, like just reaching out to groups being like, and there's also, it's great because there's like touring groups too. It's like DIY touring. So you can post in there like, Hey, I'm in, I'm in a melodic hardcore band. We're looking to play a show in Cincinnati on this date. Who should I talk to? And people will like link you up with other people. It's great. Like social media. I don't know how people booked tours like DIY back in the day for like places that weren't like close. The first time I did it was on MySpace. This yeah, like two thousand five. Yep. And you had a radius option for shows, so I would literally put in I don't know one hundred fifty miles uh, from Baltimore, mm-hmm. and then I would see cities that I'd never heard of, but there was a bunch of bands that would fit within our music scene, all playing at these same venues. And I was like, okay, well that's who I contact. Yeah. But again, it was like the the tools are there whether it's 2005 or 2018. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's kind of like common sense. Yeah. I uh, like. I was able to do really well with it, having zero prior touring experience or knowledge as to what I'm doing. I just kind of figured it out on my own, and I it worked out really well for us. Like, all of our tours that I booked were, like, like they went, like, really well. Like, I was shocked. I'm always shocked anytime anything goes well. I'm like... I just have really low expectations for everything, so I'm not disappointed. I think that the channels, the lines are way bigger now. There's easier groups you can get involved in, especially mm-hmm. super niche groups. You can say, oh, I'm into this, and then define, you know, redefine it and keep going and define it even deeper. And then you can really then look at the bands that are part of it, and you can say, oh, well, they're doing this. I can kind of follow that same trajectory. And I know for Jordan and I, we were very fortunate to have MySpace at the time because... <clears throat> MySpace, we could see other people's tours. We could see their routes, even if they were playing a one-off in I didn't somewhere. Know that that's very cool. Yeah, because we would list all of our tour dates, and I remember it was it was like the perception. It didn't matter whether that was the most amazing show or not, but it was the fact that a band wasn't playing in Maryland for us. We saw they were going yep. somewhere else. That seemed cool, and we could always look at our friends, you know, mm-hmm. and just say, "Well, what are they doing?" We can follow that same trajectory, and I'm sure. For you, I think I could imagine doing it now with Facebook. It would be even easier because you have such an audience of people that, you know, hopefully like you, that are your friends, that you can just put it out there and say, hey, I'm trying to look for a date in whatever. And some people would be like, oh, I have a contact for you. Exactly. The network is so much easier. I think people, it's the tools are there. It's a much wider net that you're casting. Yeah, you just have to actually put it out there. Yeah. I, uh, I'm... As well as booking our tours went before, though, I'm so glad that I don't have to do it anymore because it is like a colossal pain in the ass. Okay, <laughs> you so, have a booking agent now. Yeah, we have a, a booking agent now. Um, 
So let's fast yeah. forward to where we are currently with the band. So like I remember when Jordan and I played in bands, the biggest thing was it was like step by step in my head. It, it all kind of made sense. Like anything you would do, any kind of you know endeavor, any kind of business. Sure. It was like the start is build a foundation. So it's like we had to write some music. So we had a product, something we could actually go perform and play and that we enjoyed. Yeah. Once we had that, the first step was pick a place that you want to go showcase your material. And so we'd pick some venues and we would we were fortunate enough to actually go play these shows. And after you did that, then we started to define that is, well, now that we're going to play shows, we want to play with bands that make sense. So we can start running in these circles with people that make sense. And once we did that, then it felt like, okay, the next step is much higher. The next step to really start to maybe tour or get distribution, you know, really start to build this business out like horizontally. Mm-hmm. That was the really tough point. And that was where I kept finding myself saying, man, I wish we had more opportunity to build a team. So now you're currently in the position where you don't have to do all the work. You guys can focus on writing the music and working yes. on some of the business end, relationships, but you have a label, right? Yep. You guys just signed to a label and you're releasing an, a current record. You're re-releasing it. Yeah, we uh, we released our album Clever Girl on Pure Nice Records on October 27th. And uh, yeah, and we have management now. Um, we have a booking agent now. And it's also been cool because now instead of like it being like, oh, okay, if we want to go on tour, we have to book a tour or someone has to book the tour for us. Now people are coming to us with tours being like, we want you to be on this tour that's already booked. So that's how, that's what happened with the the anti-flag and stray from the path tour. Um, That's coming up. Yeah. It's in January and February. It's a full U.S. month long tour. And for you, how does it feel to think that like maybe a couple years ago you were just a huge fan of these bands and and now (laughs) they're like your peers, you know, you'll be out on the road with them. It's been, it's been crazy and it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's not even just like, oh, I used to love these bands and now I get to tour with them. It's the way that that tour happened was because I loved those bands they asked us to tour with them. So uh, the guitarist from Straight From The Path actually texted me before he even hit up like management or anybody. Um, it was like, listen, um, we're going out on tour with Anti-Flag this winter. We want Sharptooth on that tour. And I like lost my fucking mind because it's like, oh, here's the guitarist for one of my favorite bands in the fucking world telling me that them and Anti-Flag handpicked us for a tour. And I was like, why they were like well musically it makes sense you're kind of like the middle ground between anti-flag and straight from the path musically um you're super political like both of these bands he's like and you've been coming to our shows for the last 10 years and have asked nothing from us other than to just play music like for you and you've supported the shit out of us and you traveled all over to see our shows and we want to be able to give that back to you he's like this is he's like this is my way of like passing the torch and that was really overwhelming was i guess just having like you know especially as a woman you kind of like fight for respect in like the scene and just to see somebody be like no i see you i recognize how passionate you are about this and we want to help you out was just amazing what what's your goal for this tour for the anti flag tour when the tour is over <laughs> like what what do you want accomplished whether personally or as a band 
Oh man, I feel like the tour in of itself is just going to be an accomplishment because it's our first full U.S. tour. We've never done that before. Um, I'm going to places I've never been and like playing with these ridiculously like huge bands. I I just honestly just want to survive and just be open to any experiences that happen then and just take it all in and stay present. I don't want to. I like. I try not to get too ahead of myself because um, that's when I start getting anxious or putting expectations on things. So I just want to be present and connected And the next thing people. you know, the tour's over. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So what does staying present mean for you? What does that look like? What's your definition? With touring in particular, just like making an effort to make myself available to people like at shows and just to connect with people and talk to anybody. You never know who you're like, you never know going into a tour who is going to be like your best friend by the end of that tour. That's like what happened to us on our last tour with a uh, Roseview and Currents. Like you never know who the people are that you're going to like totally hit it off with and end up being like BFFs with. So I, d- I just value that experience of human connection so much. So I just want to be in that and not worrying about, you know, what's going on at home or like, any stuff like that. Do you have routines to take care of yourself when you're traveling? Oh, sure. I meditate a lot. Um, meditation is crucial for me. Um, and I, what does that look like? So, like, this is like the most millennial thing ever. I have an app, actually. Uh, it's called Headspace. And I'm, I'm not getting paid to say this. Uh, but I fucking love this app. Like, I am somebody who's kind of, like, always going and very like high energy. And this is, it's guided meditations and they start off like really short. They're three minutes. And I'm like, oh, three minutes. I can, anyone can find time for three minutes. And then they get longer. So anybody can find time for five minutes, 10 minutes. And it just helps you build a foundation of just stopping and observing your own thoughts, which is really cool. So many listeners of this podcast know that uh, a big part of my business and career is in mindfulness meditation and specifically through rhythm and drumming experiences. Um, so I'm curious, when did you start uh, practicing meditation? And, and more importantly, for those listening who are thinking about it, are flirting with it, which is going to be more and more people every day as it starts to seep into popular culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you start noticing benefits? Almost immediately. I think a lot of times, especially like in you know modern life, we we get kind of caught up in like what we have to do next, that kind of thing, and just stopping and being where you're at mentally is so important. And honestly, the real, I think that the, one of the biggest reasons that I started doing it was so that I could be more mentally present and emotionally available for like the people in my life who, especially people who were like going through like stuff. And I'm like, I don't want my own crap to be interfering with that. I just like want to be able to be present with them for, whatever is going on, but that's hard when you can't turn your fucking brain off and you're just have these self-centered thoughts spinning in your head. Um, so I don't even remember where I heard about the app, but was the app when you first started meditation practice. I like, 
it was the kind of thing that I'd like thought about, but until I have something to give me direction, it's very like, or like a routine and like kind of put that in place for me. It can be hard for me to start like a new habit and like the app kind of like held me accountable, which was really cool. So now you've been doing some touring, walk us through what a normal day, not something where all these variables hit you and you're kind of thrown a million different directions, but What's a normal day look like? Uh, you know, walk us through from the beginning to when you get to meditate and to the end. Um, a lot of times I'll meditate like right before I go to sleep. Um, but I also try to get one. And if we have like a long day of travel, I try to get one in on the bus. Um, but like typically like on tour, I feel like there's no such thing as typical, but like you wake up at a stranger's house uh, and usually then we'll try to head out and find like some opportunity for like food or in my case, coffee because I live off of tea and coffee. So that's crucial for me. If I don't get my caffeine, I'm not fun. <laughs> um, and then it's just getting to the gig and you get there, you meet back up with all the other bands, hang out, catch up with everybody, see what they did like the previous night. Um, get like merch set up and then usually like in the band before us, like I'll go and start doing like vocal warmups for like 15 minutes, get on stage, do my thing. And then talk to all the people who want to talk to us after our set. Um, and yeah, and then figure out where we're going to be spending our night. It's all kind of, you get into like a rhythm with it and, uh, for me, like a lot of like my like quote unquote like self care stuff on tour is like getting to your coffee, um, having time to like meditate at night, like. But like being around people for me is like a huge like self care thing too. So like just getting to be with my bandmates all the time is amazing for me mentally because I don't I'm not sitting in my head anything that like I'm thinking I can just say out loud and either and like they can check me or validate me so. Do you also need time alone? Um, I, it totally depends. Sometimes, yes. And I, you do kind of like cherish those moments that like you do get to like spend by yourself. Like you're like taking a shower at someone's house or whatever. Um, but a lot of times I get like my quote unquote alone time. Like if we're traveling like on the bus and like you get like, if it's at night, a lot of times I'll write or like, put my headphones in and I'll just like write. Like I write a lot of poetry. Um, I journal a lot too. And I write in my journal almost every day, just like record little moments and stuff. How is journaling helpful for you? Because I know even in in a time this year where I was profoundly stressed, uh, Matt Halpern suggested that I journal and it was mm -hmm. very helpful for me. Journaling is great for me because it gives me a like a completely judgment-free place to air all my thoughts. And a lot of times when thoughts are just sitting in your head, you're just playing with them, like toying around with them. Um, but when you can get them out, I feel like it takes some of the power out of those thoughts. And once they're out, you can just see like, regardless of the content, you're like, this is a thought. This is just a thought that I had. It's not, it's some words. It's not, it doesn't define me. Like your thoughts and your feelings don't define you. So when I can get them out, then they feel, I feel like they define me a lot less and I can kind of just like, 
it helps me observe them better as opposed to being controlled by them, which is cool. Which, which meditation. Yeah. That's the practice. Because, I mean, and it just so nonchalantly comes out of you of, oh, my thoughts and feelings like, you know, are not me or I don't have to identify them, however you said it. But for some people, I mean, that's life changing. And oh, at yeah. one point for me, that oh, realization yeah. was life changing as I'm sure it was for you at one point. Absolutely. Um, realizing that my thoughts and feelings don't define me. Yeah. That helped me in, like one of the most like difficult parts of like this past year. Um, and sometimes it like, and that's not like a mindset that I necessarily have all the time. There's like, especially in the last, like there was about like a week ago where I was just in a really, really dark place. There's like all this dark stuff going on in the world. Like it's hard to get on Facebook and not read something that's like really like graphic or like triggering and like that kind of thing. And, I was just in an extremely dark place and I had to, my therapist basically had to like forcibly remind me that like I'm not my thoughts and I'm not my feelings and like that these things don't own me because full disclosure, like I was having, it was interesting because I was having suicidal thoughts, but in the way where you're like, I want to kill myself, but I'm not going to, these are just thoughts that I'm having. And once, and like, when I explain that to her, she's like, but you just said it. You're just, you're recognizing that these are just thoughts and that you don't need to act on them and you don't need to be controlled by them. And it was like, oh shit, that was huge for me. And like that snapped me out of it. And I've been like almost totally fine. Like ever since that, it was a very interesting experience. So for those listening to you right now, uh, hearing you say like, I am not, not my thoughts or feelings, I could imagine they would then say, well, then what are you? How would you answer that? That's a good, that's a really good question. I think that we're, uh, I asked that because metaphysical. I, I, <laughs> I think that that kind of trips people up because then it's like, well, if I'm not my thoughts and feelings, then like, how do I self-identify? What am I? And that can be highly anxiety provoking because then your whole fucking self-image could start to crumble. I think that rather than your thoughts or, exp- or feelings, I think your, your experiences. And that's, what, and that's where like just being present comes into play because you're only existing in... You, you are only existing in what is happening right now. So if you're sitting there thinking about, you know, whatever... It's that is pulling you out of right now. So I, I think it's your experiences. I think it's your experiences that define you. Um, that's that's my off the cuff answer. And now I'm gonna go think about this for like the rest of the night. It's but good shit to it's think about. Really cool. We'll ask you well, after this tour. For me, yeah. Uh, for me, what's helpful is is kind of the idea of you know we often self-identify by the roles we play. So uh, I am a musician. I am a man. I am, you know, someone who lives in Baltimore. Yeah. When you take away the identity of of man or or where I live, it's like I am. And that's what you're left with. So yep. you're not the thoughts, you're not the feelings, but for me it's you are that that energy, that experience of being able to witness the thoughts. Yeah. And or, connect or, with people. I think it's experiences and connections that you share with others. Where does that come from for you, the desire to connect? That's an interesting question. 
probably from feeling disconnected a lot, like as like a kid, like not feeling like included, not like feeling like I fit in, not feeling understood. Um, I feel like that's like such like a, such a universal feeling of like wanting to be understood. So, but in order for me to want to be understood, like I have to seek to understand because otherwise it's like basically hypocritical. Like, oh, I want everyone to understand me, but I'm not going to put out any energy into giving that back into people. And I don't think that you can be understood unless you're willing to, to really give of yourself to understand others. How did you cope with that or deal with that when you were younger, when you said now that you like being around a lot of people because it gives you energy? Mm-hmm. And I think Jordan and I can both attest to that, but I think like everybody else, we also like our alone time at some points. Yeah. But for me, I know me, like I love the energy I get from other people. And so when I was younger, like in say middle school and, and I was super different from others, like in school is the same yeah. way what you spoke about. It was isolating and it was extremely, it, yeah. I mean, it can easily send you into really strange states, um, and you can become super depressed of, because of it because people just don't get you, even though you're trying to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. So, going back to to those points, um, were you longing for that, and did it take really finding um, what you love in life to kind of find your people, even though you have empathy for others and you understand? where the others were coming from? Oh, totally. It, like, I think that, like, at first, like, I would, like, I, yeah, everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to feel liked and, like, to have friends. But I, I was, like, yeah, I was, like, bullied in middle school. Like, I, I wasn't cool. I think that in music is really where I felt like, oh, this is where I belong. It's actually, it's kind of funny. It's, like, I I feel like you encounter like different things in your life and you connect with things in your life differently depending on where you are emotionally and I think I found like hardcore music like really found it at like a time in my life when I felt like so incredibly alone it was my my almost 10 years ago actually um I went to my first every time I die show and it was at the record theater with Stick to Your Guns in the Bronx. And I just remember carrying around so much like anger and like like just feeling alone in the world and going into that room. And it was like a wave washed over me of like, oh my God, like I'm not crazy for having these thoughts or for having these feelings. Like, especially like as a woman, like in our society, like, for a long time, it, like, wasn't, like, getting angry or being, like, an angry, like, woman was, like, not really, like, a thing. Like, it wasn't, like, seen as, like, okay to, like, express, like, feelings of rage or anger and, like, that kind of stuff. And it was, like, yeah, I'm in this room with all these people who feel the same things that I feel and I'm not crazy anymore. And if, and it was also kind of, like, well, if I'm crazy, well, so is everyone else here. So, Awesome, let's be crazy together. So that was huge for me, was feeling like I belonged somewhere. And I was like, I'm going to, I pretty much immediately was like, I belong here because I say that I do. And I'm going to make sure that everybody knows it. And I, that was when I started going to like every single show ever and moshing my face off and like 
made myself a name in the Baltimore scene is like the little redhead who moshes at every show. So that was like my claim to fame for a little while. You do stand out in that sense. It's I know. cool. Yeah. I'm like the smallest person at most shows and I've bright red hair, so I'm hard to miss. <laughs> I always thought of our friendship as like I may never see you except I always know I will see you at an, every in the time pit at, at every time at I show. And that was like... That's I just, where we're going to hang. <laughs> right. I just knew, well, I'll see Lauren there, obviously. Yeah. Were you were you aware... I'm, I'm curious. Were you aware of um, some of like the female-fronted, heavier groups that were around over, say, the last like decade and a half? Like uh, Things like, like Walls of Jericho come to mind? I was never really exposed to a lot of those bands. Wall of Jericho is cool. And like, so is like Arch Enemy. Like, these are all women that, like, I've, you know, since being like a, you know, a woman in like a heavy band, like that I've, you know, you hear those names like, oh, reminds me of Walls of Jericho. That's the one that we would used to get compared to all the time. But Arch Enemy, really, what's her name? Alyssa? I don't know her name. Glutes or something like that. She, um, she reminds me, I guess I don't know Walls Jericho as well, but I do remember them when they were around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can think of some other female-fronted bands, but I actually can see a lot of traits in the singer of Arch Enemy with you because of the, uh, you guys are very socially aware and you guys are very active mm-hmm. in the, the platforms that you want to get active in. Yeah. Um, I know she's like a, a very strong vegan advocate and That's cool. her boyfriend that. is um, the dude from The Misfits. Um, that's also cool. Doyle von Frankenstein, and that's he is so as random. well. Yeah, and like <laughs> together, it's like a total power couple. Yeah, that. I think just because like Arch Enemy was more like metal, was like not as much like in right. my on my radar. Sure. I was d- much more into like the metalcore and hardcore scene, like more like what we were joking about earlier, more like that tough guy stuff. <laughs> like that's just more like what I vibe with musically. Um, but there were like the only woman that like I would really hear about would be like a the girl in I wrestled a bear once, and they're like thrashy grindcore like crazy all over the place. So like wasn't super into their music, but I was like, oh, she's dope. <coughs> you know, as as a uh, you getting sick, Lauren? I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you're talking about the show, uh, the every time I die show at the Wrecker, um. And you kind of finding community there and, and, and feeling like you could identify with others that, mm-hmm. that seemed more like you and perhaps even kind of normalized some of your experience that maybe felt really unique yeah. in the world. Uh, when Justin and I saw you perform at Autobar uh, nine months ago, maybe, yeah, um, that was the first time I remember seeing you and Sharp Tooth. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys played first. It, it early on a weekday yep. or a weeknight. Um, the bands that you supported didn't even seem like it made sense. Nope. And there <laughs> were. I remember that was a show. I'm like, why are we here? <laughs> and it there weren't many people there, but what stood out amongst many of the things that stood out to me that night was there was a small group of girls that were moved to the front, and they were like mesmerized by you and with you <laughs> and and. That's what I thought when when you're t- telling the story at the record of now you are kind of giving voice and, and and a face and an energy to to a generation of of not just young females but just anyone uh, 
that, it, it really moved me. The whole, the whole, the performance moved me, but Thank specifically you. that in the sense of you, you seemed like this role model because you, you, you come at it with such conviction and power and confidence, uh, which is sorely lacking for most people, I'd argue, yeah. in the world. Um, but it seems like you are now in a position where you can give that gift to many people. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Does it feel like a responsibility? Do you even want that? Oh, I, it's funny because that was never something that I anticipated or would have thought up like for myself, but I completely feel a responsibility to that now. Like, especially like in the content of some of our songs, um, like we have a song where I talk about rape and I never expected to get the response to that song that I, that like I get. And our, our first tour ever, um, was one of the first times that we were playing that song. Like we were like, yeah, that's going to be on our set list. Like, cool. Um, and at every show I had all different kinds of people, but particularly young women coming up to me, telling me like their stories of sexual violence. And that was what really made me recognize like that this is something that we need to be talking about. It became so much less about like, Oh, this is a song. And we need to be talking about this at every show. We need to be reaching out to these people because there's clearly a need. And it like at that point it, it like stopped being like about me. And that's fine. Um, there's nights when that like song, like it needs to be a therapeutic experience for me. Um, but then there's other nights where it's harder to get up on stage and do that song. But I recognize that it isn't about me. And like the, this is about the people at the show who might hear this and will find validation in their experiences and not feel alone and feel like they can come forward and talk about, you know, their trauma. So yeah, it wasn't anything I wanted or not that I don't want it. It wasn't anything I ever expected, but as soon as people started responding, it, the need became very, very apparent. And I was like, I need to be talking about, I need to get up here and be talking about the things that I think are important. I'd seen other vocalists do similar things like, uh, like Jesse Barnett from stick to your guns talks a lot during their sets. And I all, that was something I, that really drew me to them because it was like, Oh, even if you don't really like know the song, well, it's like you suddenly, he makes you give a shit. He's like, this is why this is important. This is why you need to pay attention. And I was like, there's so many issues that aren't getting talked about in this music simply because of a lack of representation. You know, Stick to Your Guns isn't going to go on stage and talk about catcalling because that's not an experience that they're having. But it's an experience that I'm having, and I know it's an experience a lot of other women are having. So why not talk about that? So, yeah, I think it's really important. That's kind of like we can we've like now worked from it being just about like the songs too. It's really like a balance of being about the music and about the activism and connecting with people. And that's what stood out to me, just the format of your set. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'll admit <clears throat> the style of music that you perform isn't my cup of tea. Sure. And I went to support you and because I know you're a charismatic, interesting performer. So I knew I would enjoy it, yeah. but it's not like I went because... I was listening to your record sure. and these were my songs. Yeah. But what I really appreciated is that you prefaced every song with the story. Mm -hmm. And even just the fact that you're screaming. So it's 
it's difficult to even hear the lyrics or yeah. understand the lyrics. And when you prefaced each song, this is what it's about, whether it's your experience as a woman um, or as a Jew or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you set it up and then the, the expression of the performance of the song, the aggression, uh, the, the fear, uh, the power, whatever it may be, it, that's where it got me. Because yeah. it was very clear where you were coming from, yeah, and and I thought it was just it was so powerful, and and for me it wasn't even about the the style of music or the genre. It was pure self expression, yeah, and it felt fucking real, yeah. Which was Thank and, you. and the the band that played after <laughs> was the complete opposite. Yeah, it, it felt so forced and rehearsed, mm-hmm. and it was they were just trying to. To, to be what they've seen others do, yeah. yeah, and thought that was the way to get them to. And it was such a contrast that it made me even appreciate what you had just shared even more. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I've always kind of felt because I'm like, you know, a lot of times like you're gonna you're not gonna know what my lyrics are. I think my lyrics are important. Of course, I do. I wrote them. But I know that people aren't going to necessarily understand what I'm saying because I'm screaming. And I also know that there's going to be people in the room who don't necessarily, especially like it earlier, like stuff when we weren't necessarily playing with bands of our genre. We were just kind of playing with whoever was on that show. Um, So there would be a lot of people there who weren't necessarily into hardcore or into music with screaming in it who would then come up to me afterwards and be like, I related to so much of what you said, even though like, and I've also heard that like when I talk about like the songs, then you're able to kind of like, people have an easier time picking out like phrases and stuff and like understand it. It ties the art in like so much more for a lot of people, especially people who don't have like any experience listening to someone scream at them. So yeah, I think that's really important for me. Each like each time we perform is like, it's its own it's its own like piece of art and it's whatever and wherever I'm at, I kind of treat like each show, like it's like its own like rally or like a protest or something like that. So did you have a vision three years ago when you started this band that no. this is the kind of platform you would create it or, or that the, cause I've watched some of your shows and you can see the community of people that show up for it. Right. Yeah. And it seems like it's something that, that heavily that, that sharp tooth has, Created and is now curating. You guys have you. I mean, you really do have a platform, and you really do have a core set of group that seems to show up every time and throw yeah. down for you guys. They know the lyrics. They do pile ups together. You know, I mean, it's probably all the shit that you love in music, and for yep. for you to have a place to express yourself, and you're creating a safe place for others to do that, and to take some of their own experiences they can identify with your experiences and your lyrics. And for them, and for you to say for them, hey, it's okay, share with me. Did yep. you realize you would have that kind of responsibility three years ago or that you would even create something like this? Never in a million years. Like I was just, I was literally just happy to be able to put my words to lyrics and express my experiences like in the kind of music I wanted to. That was like the most exciting thing. It was like, oh my God, I get to finally write like hardcore and metalcore songs. Like, that's so exciting because I had all these emotions that like, you know, in my last bands, it didn't really fit the music. Like, it's like, these are still all these things and experiences that I want to be able to express in my art. But until 
sharp tooth. I didn't really have a way to do that. And I just showed up really fucking excited to do that. And so, and then it's like, it, it turned into so much bigger of like an experience than I could have ever expected. It It's like way more than just like getting up on stage and singing some songs for me now. Yeah. It's like a, it's almost like a, like a, like a movement that like we've been trying to like create like with people and particularly like with women, like I'll have like, like young teenage girls being like, Oh, like that was so cool. Like, like I wish I could be in a band. I'm like, you can, like, I want this to, I want to be part of a movement of more representation in music. Like whether that's women, whether that's queer people or people of color, like I want more representation for all different kinds of people in music. And if me getting up there and being like, I'm a woman doing this is someone's like, like go ahead. Like that's their green light. Like, Oh, I can do that too. Like that's so huge for me. So while we're here, we have a couple questions from people in the Facebook group. And sure. for those listening, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. And uh, our guy, Stephen Redman uh, from Charleston, South Carolina, uh, he's asking, um, some of the stuff he asked, we've, we've already covered, but, but specifically, um, he's curious, are you seeing a shift in more equality for female-fronted bands in the music scene? And I'd even say more generally, just females in music community. Yeah, um, there's definitely still a lot of work to be done. Um, but even in the three years that I've been in Sharptooth, I've noticed big changes. Like, for example, um, back when like I first joined the band, we got put on a show um, a bunch of other bands and they just described us in like the Facebook event. They just wrote like sharp tooth, uh, female fronted. That was our description was just female fronted. Didn't say the kind of music, anything at all. Like it's like female fronted, what indie rock or like, <laughs> like cabaret, like, you literally, my gender is not a whole genre. And, you know, I very gently like corrected them. And I'm like, dude, that would be like if you put like, oh, this band, a uh, black person fronted. Like, I'm like, do you see how ridiculous that sounds? I'm like, that's how ridiculous it is when you say that, like when you just describe female fronted as our genre. It's like, no, we're a lot more than that. Um, we're like, I describe us as co-ed. That's like a that's a descriptor that I'll use. So I a lot of times we say like coed melodic hardcore. That's how I'll describe us. And that's in the last couple of years, a lot of times like people won't even mention like my my gender in descriptions or they'll put like feminist, like which is cool. But that could also be like anybody could be in a feminist band. Like it could be a bunch of dudes talking about women's rights, which would be dope. Be too. super feminist. That would yeah, that'd be awesome. Totally like yeah. um but so yeah, no, things have definitely started to shift for the better. I've also noticed a lot. We've encountered so many more bands like with women in them just in the last, especially in the last year we've played, when we played at Fest this year, we played at the Fest in Gainesville um, at their, the the lineup that they put us on was almost entirely, was like the heaviest bands like that they, they put in this one, on this one lineup. And we were at the very least, like we played with, 
two other bands um, that were femme fronted. So Night Witch, who was from Gainesville, and they're like more like thrashy, like hardcore, and Gouge Away. And it's also really interesting because when it was like the three of us basically in a row, and you could like we're all vastly different musically. None of us sound similar, and none of us sound similar vocally. And I think that that was like a really cool thing too. It's like, yeah, just because we're women doesn't mean that we vocally sound the same because we really don't. And just because we're in bands and like those other bands are pretty, like they're pretty feminist too. Like they, the content of their music is, um, is definitely about like a lot of women's issues, but like sonically we don't sound anything alike either. And our delivery of like talking about this stuff is totally different too. And just I'm the, the only fact, band that like talks. Like just really. the fact that you have to like argue that point. I know. <laughs> is stupid. It is. It's like we're all individuals. Wow. <laughs> what a novelty. It's weird. Just like men are. <laughs> so what do you make of what's happening in the popular culture right now? Mm. Like like is, is that that's pretty much the question? You want to read the other question? That's definitely in there. Edward Smith also had a question, and uh, he he touched on a few things. I think that we've already gone through, but uh, he said, "What is it like being such a politically outspoken band right now with tensions between people so high?" But, but I think and, to but, add to that, and we're talking about more of a social issue, but it's crazy how like every social issue now becomes politicized. Absolutely, right. it's it's interesting because. Um, this is something I've talked about at shows too. People will ask like, oh, when did you get into politics? I'm like, I never got into politics. I have to be a politically aware individual because my rights are at stake. It's not, this isn't about like, oh, I'm really interested in like the different parties and stuff. I'm like, dude, I don't want my fucking rights taken away. But it's still a choice <laughs> you made and a lot of people just live in ignorance. Yeah, I get, I see, I feel like I was never given a choice. I feel like as like a, a, a queer woman, I was never given a choice to not pay attention and not say something because I'm like terrified I won't be able to get my fucking medication, like my birth control. Um, if I lose that, that could fuck up my life. Like it's something I take for more than just like birth control. Like that's a necessity for me and for so many other people out there. Um, there's there's so many of us who are worried about like like who up until recently like who we've been allowed to fucking marry and there I know so many people who are worried about like if they're in certain states if they're going to get accosted for going into a bathroom like I have to care I have to be politically active because who's going to fight for me more than me you know so I guess that's just I feel like I was never given a choice as to whether or not I want to get into politics. That's like, I, I am a woman existing in America. That's an inherently political thing. Um, but does it feel like a burden or is there a part of you? And, and, and I'm sure it's a mixture of both. Is there a part of you that feels excited that you have this platform to, to play with? There's times when it like, and just like any kind of like responsibility, especially like a social responsibility. Like, yeah, there's times where, there's been so many fucking times where I've wanted to just release a song or release a record and not know that we were going to get a lot of hate because of anything. Like, I mean, like when we first signed to our record label, 
There were like people talking shit on it because I'm a woman or belittle. It's mostly like belittling or being like, oh, look at this girl. Like, she thinks she'd like be an extra, whatever. Like, a lot of belittling, demeaning, misogynist comments. It's like, wouldn't it be nice to just be able to release a fucking song or announce a signing and have it be an entirely positive thing? Like, I know it is for so many other guys in bands like that's not a thing that most guys in bands are thinking about is like oh are people gonna hate this just because I'm a girl doing it it's not a thing that people need to think about and like then on the other hand like it's like yeah I'd like to be able to just release my art into the world and have people just be excited for us and like you don't get a lot of like I'm friends with lots of guys in other bands and they're that's not a thing they're worried about. But then on the other hand, you know, we have songs that are very political and very inflammatory. Like we ha- literally have a single called Fuck You Donald Trump. We fully expected to get lambasted for that. And we were like, yeah, I expect that with that song. So we had a lot of like, a lot of Trump supporters coming out and like on like in the comments sections of everything, which I don't read the comments of anything anymore. Um, and just being like, yeah, well, fuck you too. I'm like, okay. Like, if somebody really wants to have a conversation with me, I'm so open to that. I've talked to Trump supporters at shows that we've played, and I wish more people would do that. I it's been great. I've never like I've had like people come up to me like women being like Trump supporters and like have had amazing discussions and like connected on so many other things. Um, and it's any conversation, almost any conversation that I've had in person with people at our shows has been overwhelmingly positive because it's people who are either like being like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person. And like, like I can't imagine that I must be an intimidating person to talk to if you don't know me after watching our set, because I'm literally screaming at you for half an hour. And I'll also (laughs) say that after watching you perform, you push people past comfort zones. Oh, I mean, totally. you'll literally get off stage and get into the face of people. Yep. Um, <laughs> has that ever backfired? In, in a way, look, mm. I, I'm sure you don't want to give anyone a negative experience. Yeah. It hasn't backfired. Um, I typically don't, like, I'll get very close to people's faces. Um, I think that now that, like, we're starting to get more traction and people are like, seeing us more and kind of figuring out what we're about. We've developed a reputation as the band that's insane, that like does crazy shit live and you, that you don't know what they're going to do. There's bands like Let Live that kind of had that like reputation, like, oh, what's Jason going to do? It's going to be crazy. So people kind of come in now expecting that. But um, I typically don't like put my hands on anybody unless I know them. And even then I usually ask them before our set, be like, is it okay if I touch you? Um, Like during our set at any point. And... Typically, the people whose faces I really get into, I usually only do that to people who I have at least met or who have seen us before. I almost never will go up to a complete stranger and get that close to them because who am I? You know, I don't want to terrify somebody, (laughs) Um, but I still want them to have the experience of witnessing that. So I'll typically, I'm pretty judicious about my my choices in physicality and the way that I interact with the audience, like at our sets, because I, I want people to feel emotionally safe at our shows. 
um, especially because we do talk about so many really uncomfortable things and like things that are very, very sensitive. Uh, but it's also a hardcore show. So I want them to have that very intense, extreme experience. So there's a, it's a balance. And I will say what was nice is that you, yeah, you, you dig into very deep topics throughout the set. But what I remember is that the, before the last song or the last message that I remember receiving from you was very uplifting and Mm -hmm. optimistic. And I thought that was key in the structure of your performance because I think it could be dangerous to uh, to get a, a crowd of people uh, feeling very angry and feeling very um, abused hopeless. or attacked or hopeless. Yeah. yeah, but and feeling that without some sort of plan of action that's positive. Absolutely, that's. I mean, and that's one of the things that I love about so many of like my favorite bands. It's like okay, here's all the problems in the world. We're going to fix them. We have the agency to do that. And it's interesting because I remembered you telling me that about like our set. And it was something I did unconsciously, but now I'm more mindful of it. Like, okay, I want to make sure that people are feeling like, are feeling empowered from this experience and not just like lambasted with like scary stuff. Um, but, it it gives yeah. a nice, clean, actionable ending to the story. Because mm-hmm, you, yeah. you tell a great story. And I think, I think whether it's conscious or not, the set, because I was there with Jordan, the set, the set has a flow to it. Yeah. You know, and I feel like even if, if the songs don't go in that, that correct order that has this great flow, you're still able to weave a story through the 30-minute sure. set or whatever, however long you're playing. Um, but I, I feel kind of crazy thinking, like, people think this is super crazy or, like, the... Uh, let live is that crazy or something like that? Because like maybe it's just the time that we live in. The people are much more reserved and are afraid. You know, a lot of people are mm-hmm. afraid to express themselves. Yeah. Which hopefully, you know, the scene and you guys included are helping to break down that barrier. Because this isn't crazy. I mean, I can think of some bands that are like legitimately out there crazy that will draw from like Jordan's World of Professional Wrestling, like. You know, thumbtacks on the floor and they're slamming each other into it. Like, yeah, no, we're not. We're not like, there. Like, <laughs> like, that's, a, that's who, a different level of creep. But, but someone who lives in that culture would make your same argument. So it's all relative, sh- absolutely. And, and to the average person, whatever sure. the makeup of that person is, they'll look at Lauren and what she does as an artist and as a profession, and be like, "Yeah, that's some like counterculture, freaky ass shit for yeah, sure." It's extreme. It's definitely. I mean. We're playing hardcore music, which is in and of itself an extreme thing. I'm screaming. That's like the most extreme use that you can have for your voice. It's so yeah, no, to most people, uh, if you're not familiar like with the like the culture, um, yeah, it's pretty extreme. Even within the culture, like there's people who like are surprised by some of the things that we do, like the talking, um, or like me getting off the stage and like walking around and that kind of thing. Um I feel like right now in hardcore, there's a there's been a big upsurgence, like of bands that just play really heavy, and the and the action that happens at the show is all in the crowd. It's all the crowd doing things, and like these guys will literally just like stand, just like stand on stage, not really do anything physically, um, and it's all about like the crowd's energy, which is super cool. I love going to shows like that sometimes like there's bands that I listen to that are like that and I love it it's an awesome experience but what we're, we're doing is extremely different from that well I'd argue in an age of uh, Snapchat 
and, and Instagram stories mm-hmm. where the person, the quote average person is the star. Yeah. I think that is a big reason why EDM music uh, has done so well over the past decade because a lot of the people going to these shows, like they and their friends are the star of the show and yeah. they may not even know who the DJ is or even necessarily care. Mm-hmm. I think what's really important about what you're doing is that, again, it's not about you in the sense of like, you're, it's just this massive ego, yeah. but you are this facilitator of an experience, yes. right? And you make it about the crowd and your job, uh, you know, and I'm putting words into your mouth, but, sure. but I feel like it's, it's where you're coming from. You do it in the spirit of providing a valuable experience to other people. Yeah. Well, and I also don't take their attention for granted. I think there are a lot of bands that get on stage and they think because they're on stage, they're owed something. I don't feel owed anything. I feel like overwhelmingly grateful that anybody would show up to a show. I get excited. I'm like, oh, there's like 20 people here. Sick. Like, cool. Like, um, we've played shows where I've just been like, pretty recently we we played a show with a lot of like tough guy hardcore bands uh, a lot of bands that I like too um but we kind of were a little bit different from that mold and I was like no one's gonna fucking watch us no one cares. no one's gonna like us no one's gonna give a shit I was like I'll be happy if like it's a big festival I was like I'll be happy if like 40 people 40 or 50 people and 400 people watched us which I never expected in a million years after our set I just sat down and cried and where my band's was like, what's wrong? I'm like, there were people here. <laughs> like, that's, I don't, I don't feel owed anything. I feel like, you know, I have half an hour with that microphone and I need to make you give a shit because who the fuck am I? I feel like that about every performance. It's like, I, it's my job to make you pay attention. So I will. And if then you don't, then you don't. And I, you know. Then I, I get in your face. Then I get in your face. <laughs> <laughs> or I lick your camera. I do that sometimes too. When people are filming us, I'll come up and I'll lick their camera. <laughs> I'm a little extra. <laughs> so before we wrap, because I know you have to get out of here, uh, I want to kind of go back to where we started. Um, what does your mom think of all this? My mom, unbelievably, is so excited. Like... My mom, for some background, she's like very Jewish American princess, like typical suburban white mom. She organizes closets. She organizes people's <laughs> closets. She and all. she like does it because she thinks it's fun. Like that's my. And she's good. She's great. She's amazing at it. And it's it. a wonderful service. Yeah, she's she's very good at what she does. I've learned a lot. Does from she have a website? Yeah, we'll plug. give her contact at the end for sure. I actually don't know. You know what? She should have a website. We Let's should make, make her, her a website. Yeah. Yes. So she's very like she's very like mom, and you know like wanted her kids to go to like a good school, like that type of like you know that type of person. So when her daughter was. In a like playing music in a hardcore band, screaming at people. She's like, "Can you sing me something nice, like from Les Mis?" She doesn't sound like that, by the way. Uh, but that's at how I—that's when I <laughs> pretend to be my mom. I, I talk. What does your like dad that. sound like? Same thing. No, my dad sounds like a New Yorker. Like that's how I imitate my dad. <laughs> but together, they come to shows. They love it. So, 
they came to their first show about a year ago and my mom like didn't get it at all. Did you scream at them? I screamed at them and I gave them earplugs when they got there and I was like, this is going to be loud. And I talked about the same stuff at that show that I talk about at every show. Like I talk about some heavy stuff. Like it's weird to get up in front of a room full of people that include your parents and talk about sexual violence. Like that's a weird thing to do. Have you had these conversations with them? No. Wow. So was this all brand new to them? They never heard any of this? Or um, they kind of had an idea? I think my, I think that they had an idea because like we've been in therapy for a long time, but I've literally, I've never sat up until like that point. Like it's not like I sat down with my parents and was like, like I've been raped or anything like that. It's not really something we really talked about. Um, but like my whole family's like done therapy and stuff like that. So everybody kind of knew that like we've all got like a checkered past. And... You know, my mom in particular, like after the show, she was like, you know, I didn't get it before. She's like, I get it now. She's like, you know, obviously like the music isn't my thing. Like it's not, but like, she's like, I understand why you do this. And like more importantly than anything, my mom was like, I think that what you're doing is important. And that was huge for me. Which was my exact experience. Yeah. And that's why I think that you guys have the potential to to break through a glass ceiling of your genre. Absolutely. Yeah. She's like, I it's so it's been so interesting because the things that I talk about at our shows have like encouraged my mom to open up about like just uh, like just more to me. In I guess me being vulnerable on stage, like I feel like my relationship with my mom has gotten so much closer because it's like we've basically taken the cap off of like things that we can talk about. Like there's no, there's no limit to the things that we talk about anymore. And like us being able to share everything with each other has been, that's been really unbelievable. And like then, and that was before we got signed and then we got signed and it was like, it's validated. It was, Yes, and so my mom is like the like she is about sharp tooth. She bought she like bought like our pre order like, and she has like our records, and she has like she's like I bought she's like I bought the sweatshirts for everybody. She's does like, she have a record player? My parents have a record player, um, but it's not like hooked up or anything. We're gonna make sure gonna they make hook sure that, that up. They can hook it up so they it, can right? listen to the record. But yeah, that's been like. I never expected that. Like I have a like our last song on the record like it's about a lot of things but it's also reflects on my relationship with my parents and it says like I I know that my decisions never fit into your plans but I hope that you can listen and try to understand and it's kind of like my plea to them being like I know this is kind of nuts. I hope yeah, I hope that you can try to understand and the fact that like they have connected so much with it and particularly my mom who like that I never expected. That was huge for me. That's really awesome. It's been so overwhelming. (laughs) Um, I don't think we can top that. So we should probably just shut this shit down. Um, (laughs) So sharp tooth is the band. Yep. Clever girl is the record. Yep. Clever girl is the single. Clever girl is our, yeah, that's a music video is out. Music video is out. Pure noise is the record label. Yep. And Anti-Flag is the tour that's yep. coming up. And Anti- Straight From the Path. Yeah. And what's this tour called? It's called the Silence Equals Violence Tour. 
Perfect. Which is so... So fitting. Like, when we got the flyer, I cried. I cried about everything. But (laughs) I cried because I was like, it's perfect. So if people want to make the connection past all the stuff we just give them, is there anywhere else they need to go to find you? I mean, we're on Facebook. We answer every message we get. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I answer every message that You're I get. You're in the chocolate croissants group, yes? I am, yes. Okay, so sure connect with there. Lauren in there. Yeah, I'll even post in there being like, hey, what up? You can say hi if you want to. Okay, but make sure it's <laughs> that word for word as the post. You can say, okay. Please. <laughs> and I'll add your mom. Yes, do it. <laughs> Please add my mother. <laughs> um, for those listening, uh, do you have any last words a message just be kind to people because you don't know where anybody's at and you never know when you just being kind to the next person you meet could positively impact them very good very very good yeah good work hooray that was fun that was really fun i enjoyed this yeah absolutely um So just like Lauren values the attention of anyone that comes to see her perform, uh, of course, we always value the attention of everyone listening and paying attention to chocolate croissants, whether uh, through audio or through the Facebook group um, or however else we choose to share this with the world. That's about it. Um, (laughs) Episode 34, that is it. Uh, Real quick, guys, if you take a few moments and open up your podcast app of choice. There's a search feature. You can type in chocolate croissants, hit the subscribe button, and that way every Monday morning, the new episode gets downloaded to your phone. So if you're in the gym or the car or at work, you don't have to use uh, your data to listen. Uh, Also, iTunes, you can rate and review. That helps us. us. That helps us more than, than I think we even realize. Um, from what experts have been telling us. Uh, Justin has his finger up, which is his signal that he's going to say something. Also, whatever app of choice you're using, if you could go on uh, and rate us in there as well. Because we're doing, we're actually doing really well where we host the podcast on Podbean, which is really cool in the yeah, health section. Yeah, you said we were in like the top featured whatever. I think like, I think there's like a top 10 of featured. It feels very MySpace-like. But when you go down below that, there are 25 different podcast squares that... And I think we've been on the first and second page of health. With, I think we were the one that we didn't, the list that we didn't have to pay to be on. Exactly. Which, which is, is really nice. nice and validating. That's exciting. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, uh, much love and gratitude to everyone listening to these episodes and supporting us. Uh, the Facebook group, one more time, facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Uh, it's private and just uh, ask to be added and we will let you in. And it's private for a reason. And that's because we want to create a space where, where you all feel comfortable uh, sharing your stories and contributing to the stories of others. Uh, if you just take a look over a few threads, you'll kind of get a good feel for the mix of, uh, of the engagement that happens in there. It's, for me, the best part of this project. Um, and like we did with Lauren, we always tend to put out a thread of who the guest is going to be for the next episode. And we love hearing from you all in the group to ask some of the questions like you may have heard today, a few of the questions that we pulled from the group. Yeah. So episode 35, next Monday, uh, Matt is back on tour with Periphery. He said that he will be responsible for that with someone on tour. Uh, So you have that to look forward to next Monday. Uh, In the meantime, join us in the Facebook group. Uh, I am going to record an outro, which you will hear once this 
ends whatever I'm saying. Um, so how can we like stitch that together? What do you mean? What if I was just like me? Okay, now we're at the outro. Uh, Jordan again, one last time. Thanks for making it this far. Uh, and thanks to Lauren Cashin of Sharp Tooth. Uh, I think uh, my promise from the intro delivered uh, with her involvement in this episode. Uh, one last time. Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, in the past few times that I've done these intros and outros, uh, I was complaining, or, or not really complaining, but just expressing how difficult it was, and I didn't know how Matt and Justin were able to like kind of focus on all the clicking from the recording software and then kind of clicking over to the uh, either the websites we're reading off of or the copy that we wrote ourselves. Fucking Justin, he's saying, like, you can just hit record and then do all that and then edit out the stuff. And, man, like technology, I'm telling you, it's, I'm learning, I'm learning, but what a time to be alive. Uh, with that in mind, also, thanks to Rode Microphones. Uh, they've hooked us up since episode one with all the equipment that we're using. Uh, they're amazing. What a great company. Check them out as well. Uh, in addition to the official sponsor of episode 34, Natatat2, uh, real quick, I just want to read something off their website because I think it's a very uh, succinct and, and uh, effective way to communicate who they are, what they're about. So Natatattoo, they are the premier all-natural, 100% USDA certified organic tattoo aftercare line. They believe in sustainably resourced ingredients that are cruelty-free and of the highest quality. Their mission is to educate tattoo artists and collectors of the optimal way to preserve and care for their tattoos and skin while knowing the products have been formulated and made responsibly. Their tattoo foaming soap and aftercare lotion will allow your skin to heal beautifully, while their tattoo balm will keep your ink looking bright and bold for years to come. So again, Nata Tattoo, who wants to hook you, the chocolate croissant listener, up with 25% off any of their products. Check out their website, nat-a-tat, then the number two, dot com. At checkout, chocolate, all caps, followed by the numbers two, five. Chocolate two, five at checkout, and you'll get 25% off any products from the Nata Tattoo store online. Uh, that's it. We made it. Thank you so much again. Uh, you know about checking out the Facebook group. We hammer that so often uh, with these episodes. But for real, if you want to get involved, if you want more of this chocolate croissants culture, the Facebook group is uh, the way to do it. So until next time, uh, as I said, the plan for now, Matt will take care of episode 35. And then I think the week after, uh, he'll be home from tour and then we can all start doing this again as one big, happy chocolate croissants family. Uh, thank you so much. Hope you guys have a great week. I'll see you at Facebook. Uh, Todd Feaser, what's up? Bye-bye. <laughs>